Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we discover the warrior within. I am your host of the day, Jared Bradford, here to propel you into all of today's goodies. So today, I brought in Dr. Sean Pestuch, owner and founder of Active Life Rx, and we're here to talk about why gyms are failing, why the four-ninths model of pay is bullshit and broken and outdated, And we also dive into a lot of other cool things surrounding financial situations and money and relationships with that money towards the end. Guys, it's a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. If you have a minute while you're listening to this, or you can head over right now to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Dr. Sean Pestuk. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on today. So you're the, the founder and owner of Active Life RX. Um, so can you explain what you do there and, and what it is basically? Yeah, and active like professional now. We just what we just did was split the company so that we have a clear and distinct path for both people who want to get out of pain without missing their workouts and people who want to learn how to help people get out of pain without missing their workouts and turn a business into it or turn it into a business, I would say. So essentially what, what, what it is you asked briefly what the company is, is basically I went, I took all the education that I have as a chiropractor and Mm -hmm. all the education that I have as a personal trainer, a CrossFit gym owner, all the things that I've had to go through to get the education that I'm at and turned it into how can we help somebody get the results that they're looking for, which is, I want to feel better and I don't feel like going to another doctor's office or physical therapist or chiropractor's office who doesn't mm-hmm. understand me. Why can't I just get better in the gym? I'm already here. And we created the solution for that person. And we've helped, I want to say now 10,000 people plus wow. from six continents. So we don't even get to meet most of the people we work with. It's all remote work. And then in doing that, what happens is inevitably a bunch of those people are going to have coaches who want to know what's going on. How is that happening? And at first we were very hesitant to teach anybody else's coach because there's that thought of, well, if we teach somebody else how to do this, then we're irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Once we got over that, things kind of started to explode. And now we've taught coaches from five or six continents Think we have, I think we have every continent except for Antarctica have come to the <laughs> workshop and learned what we're doing and taken an immersion course and learned how to do it for their clients. And now we have coaches signing up for what we're calling our professional path, which is where we're teaching them not only how to assess and correct, but also how to build a, a complete business around the education. That's incredible. So do you still treat uh like patients through uh, chiropractic care or is your sole focus on active life? I don't. I, I sold the gym that I owned and the clinic that I owned for the opportunity to pursue active life full time. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and you guys have a great slogan. So it's humanize the doctor and professionalize the coach. Uh, so what do you mean by that? And how'd you come up with it? Good research. Uh, that's that, that's yeah. more of a mission statement than a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a loose mission statement. There's nothing specific about okay. it, but, um, we came up with that because when you ask people, why don't you want to be in the doctor's office? Besides the expense of it, the time that it takes, the uncertainty that they get from being there, you know, besides the idea that they get to drive 20 minutes in a car to sit in a waiting room for 30 minutes, then be seen for 30 <laughs> minutes by some assistant and then drive home for another 20 minutes and get to do that three times a week for six to eight weeks and pay for it. Um, they typically were like, my doctor just doesn't understand me. You know, it's, it's, they tell me I can't lift heavy weights. They tell me I'm getting too old to do what I'm doing. They're telling me that I, I shouldn't do CrossFit. They're telling me I shouldn't run sprints. They're telling me I shouldn't play baseball or softball or tennis anymore, that I'm too old for it. And mm-hmm. that's because doctors who are telling their patients that are coming from an inhuman place. And what I mean by that is in school, all doctors were taught you know, above all, do no harm. That's, that's the Hippocratic oath. But no one ever discusses right. what's harm. You know, no one ever says, hmm. what's the emotional harm done to somebody who is told never to do what they love to do again? That's harm. Hmm. And we, we, yeah. we recognize that. 
So we want to humanize doctors so that they can recognize that too and understand that the projection that they're making, which is that the only harm is pain, physical pain, is not actually true. And that some people would rather deal with the risk of physical pain and injury than deal with the emotional ramifications of not being able to pursue activities that they love. So we solved that problem. And we want to help doctors do that for their patients. And then uh, professionalizing the coach came from the idea that when we asked people why don't they go to their coach for this, they're like, my coach doesn't know how to do this. And my coach doesn't even have a service for this. And Mm -hmm. we believe that coaches are the most important person in this entire equation besides you, the end client, because they see you all the time. And for them not to have the education to be able to solve these big problems for people. And then in the cases when they do to not have the skills necessary to solve them or to communicate that they know how to solve them and sell it to you. That's that reeks of lack of professionalism. And it's Hmm. not because the coach isn't professionally minded. It's because the coach um, is too uncomfortable selling and, telling people how great they are and asking someone to do something uncomfortable for them because they wouldn't want someone to do it to them. And that, that just, it's because there is no barrier to entry for coaching. There is no requirement in business education to coaching and it's become a hobby. And because Mm -hmm. it's become a hobby, no one expects professionalism from the coach anymore. And that's how the coach ends up getting paid $15 to run a group class. So we need to fucking end that. That's fantastic. So this is really exciting me because I've been there. And so really the whole idea behind it is like humanize the doctor. Like you want people to fight off aging disease. You want them to be human. Um, and the means to that is through the coaches, but the coaches are seriously uh, unacquired or unequipped to, to perform that. The means of that is wherever the means of that need to be. It could be the doctor's office. It could be the coach's office. The, the thing is, mm-hmm. I don't want people to live longer. I want people to live as long as okay. they want to live doing the things that mm-hmm. they want to do. So if somebody you know, to, to, to say people want to live, I want people to live longer. It's like, no, 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 I only want you to live longer if living longer is something that you want. And some people are mm-hmm. like, well, Dr. Sean, who wouldn't want to live longer? Well, somebody who would rather do more in the years that they have, then sit around and wait to die longer. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody would choose to do the things that they love for less time than is humanly possible. So yeah, if I could live into my hundreds and do the things I'm doing right now, that would be outstanding. But I prefer Mm -hmm. to do the things I'm doing right now into my 80s or 90s than into my hundreds if I have to stop doing them now in order to reach my hundreds. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I get it. Okay. Um, all right. So great. So I want to dive into like today's, uh, like the bulk of today's conversation, um, which is why these gyms are failing. We seem to be in like a sort of fitness renaissance these days. And there, I mean, there are endless fitness opportunities and health opportunities available. Um, are there gyms? Like, are there, Jared? <laughs> it's, it seems like it. Yes, there are. They're popping up everywhere as you know, come here, get your fitness. Right. What they mean though, in a you lot can't of cases, deny that, right? come here, get your entertainment and go home. Okay. But they label it as fitness. Yes. And that's, that's unethical, but yes. Okay. Um, so we'll get into that. That's great. Um, the point is these gyms are opening up everywhere and some are thriving and doing the right thing. And some are just staying afloat and some of them just close their doors for good. Yeah. So you, you've been, You've been developing systems and ideas basically, basically to allow gyms to grow um, because so many are failing. So I want to define this. What does a failing gym look like? I can tell you that because I've owned one. So okay. um, the reason why I'm able to speak on this stuff with so much confidence is because I've owned – I've been a personal trainer in the worst gym you could possibly find. I mean I'm talking about – I sold a bag of steroids for the owner of the gym to a non-member of the gym who came in to buy a gym bag and gave me 700 bucks, (laughs) right? So that was not a, I was the front desk guy. I cleaned the windows. I, I, I learned how to 
uh, take the chains off the electrized equipment and put them on the chains, the cables and put them back on. You know, I learned everything in this gym and I was there because I didn't want anyone to see me because I had no idea what I was doing. Then I worked as a personal trainer at Equinox who know exactly what they're doing. And I learned the business side of fitness at Equinox. Then I opened up my own car, uh, my own CrossFit gym and that CrossFit gym got sued five months into being open for making too much noise. So I got to fight the lawsuit with my next door neighbor. <laughs> $120,000 is what it cost me wow. to fight the lawsuit, and we won. But great, I didn't have $120,000, so big winner. And then that was on a Thursday we found out that we won. On Monday, Hurricane Sandy wiped the gym out. Sucks. Wow. So Wow. Yeah. My God. Um, fortunately, we were in the process of building an expansion because that gym was working very well. So we had a second location mm -hmm. that we were moving into. And at the same time, I was opening another location uh, a little bit further away. The other location a little bit further away was in a big indoor sports complex. And I was like, you know what? There's so many people coming in here. There's no way that we could fail. It's like opening up a gym next to a supermarket and thinking everybody needs food. They're going to see us. They're all going to join, right? Mm -hmm. You've heard that before, that kind of yeah. stuff? Oh, yeah, foolproof. I'm right next to the train, so that's the strategy. <laughs> that's not going to work. Right. So um, that gym was open for a year. It was actually doing fine. And then it started to do really poorly because I was a poor leader. I had staff in there who I hadn't trained on how to – I hadn't asked – do you want to sell? Do you want to sell membership? Do you want to sell personal training? Do you want to be out in the, in the sports complex, letting people know the gym is here and this is what it is? And if I had, I would have hired different people because they would have said no. So no one was finding it. We had like 80 members, 100 members, and that was fine. But it wasn't growing. And the members weren't blown away by how amazing it was. So... Ultimately, that gym ended up closing because my partner, which was the sports facility, was like, look, this is not working out the way that we thought that it would. The coaches are not doing a great job. Sales are not through the roof. And we need to use that space for something that's going to be more profitable was essentially what they told us. So we closed it. Um, my gym that I owned until about a year and a half ago that I sold was doing just fine. It wasn't mm -hmm. rushing. We had, you know, we had... $30,000 months and we had $16,000 months. The average months were closer to the $25,000 range. Um, but my payroll took up almost all of that expense because I really didn't want to do any of the work in the gym. I didn't get into the gym business to own a gym. I had a partner who was supposed to run the gym. I was going to run the rehab clinic and that ended up not working out. So okay, that gym, I, I, I did a much better job with than the one that we opened up off site. The issue is I knew what needed to happen to make that gym amazing, like transcendent. And I also knew I didn't believe I could get the staff that I had in place to get behind that idea. And I wasn't willing to get out of my clinic and get out of this online company to do it myself. So I sold it to the guy who owns, who, who was my head coach and to my ex-partner in the, in the clinic. And now I'm on my own running active life. Do you think that was a good decision for you? Like the best decision at that time you wanted to get out, right? It was the best decision of my life besides marrying my wife and having yeah. kids and saying yes to the podcast. <laughs> um, but so, 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 so <laughs> I didn't even answer your question. I apologize. But the, the, yeah. the idea what a failing gym looks like is to make it simple the owner doesn't have the financial freedom to do the things that they need to do. Meaning go on vacation for two or three weeks, two or three times a year, not coach any classes, not sell um, a protein bar to a member, not scrub the floor, not clean the bathrooms. And not that owners are above that, but the owner needs to be spending their time doing things that are higher level, figuring out how the gym mm -hmm. is going to grow how you're going to develop your staff, how relationships are going to build, how to make the place sticky, putting policies and procedures in place. Those are things owners need to be doing. Not coaching every class, cleaning the floors, scrubbing the bathrooms, selling all the memberships, and making sure we have the right protein bars in stock. So 
a gym that has an owner who's doing all of those things, in my opinion, is, is the picture of a failing gym, even if the owner loves doing it. Because what they don't realize right. is that when they go to sell that gym, which one day they're going to want to do, because they don't just want, and for people who are listening, they're like, no way, I love my gym, dude. You might love your <laughs> gym until you're 50. And that's great. But if you don't mind your business, and what I mean by that is you're making money in the gym, what are you doing with that money? Are you still living off of your income from the gym? What happens is if you're living off your income in the gym, once you no longer want to run classes, maybe you turn 55 years old and decide, I don't want to be a CrossFit coach anymore. You're selling a job to somebody and you're selling a business that you're the face of and you're not going to be in it anymore. The likelihood of success Mm. starts to toilet bowl. So that to me is a failing gym that just doesn't know it yet. I'm not saying you shouldn't coach classes. I'm saying you shouldn't have to coach classes. So that's a failing gym. Another version of a failing gym is one that um, is doing fine right now. The owner doesn't have to coach classes because all of their part-time coaches and hobbyists are doing all of the work for them. Or they're getting paid uh, four-ninths of what they sell above and beyond their, tra- mm-hmm. above and beyond their, their, their class rate. You know, so they get paid a base for running classes and then they sell personal training or program design or nutrition. They get paid four nines. That to me is a failing gym because they don't know it yet, but long-term their coaches are going to resent that business relationship. And then you have to replace coaches all mm-hmm. the time. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are pictures. Of I feel like, yeah, I feel like the, the latter example is the one I want to focus on because I, I just have a sense that that's what vast majority of gyms are at today. Would you agree? Um, I don't think the vast majority of gyms are paying four nines, but I think that the vast majority of gyms, let me pause. Um, I don't believe that the vast majority of gyms have systems in place to make sure that both the coaches and the owner are achieving financial freedom. That's where I think the majority of gyms are. Okay, perfect. And a lot of those gyms, I guess, Okay, so if we're, if we're talking about CrossFit, community is a big part of a CrossFit gym. And a lot of gyms that I've seen, I've been a part of several, they like to sell the idea of community within the gym as, as a selling point. Because they've been told to. Right, so why, why is that a problem? Because, because community doesn't drive culture. Culture drives community. If they were, if they were selling culture, it would be different. And what I mean by that is you live in a community, Jared. Where do you live? What town? I live in uh, Dearborn Heights right okay. now in Michigan. So you live in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Dearborn Heights is a community, yep. yes? Yes. Do you like everybody in Dearborn Heights? Uh, I don't know everybody here, but I would guess no. Okay. Are you married? No. Have you had sex with anybody who lives in Dearborn Heights? No. Okay. If you did, do you think that would make things complicated <laughs> for you if you were no longer having sex with that person? Uh, potentially. Yeah. Well, the gym is a community just like Dearborn Heights. And when members start banging members and coaches start banging members, that's a community. That's a fucking problem, okay. though. And I understand that people are not talking about the downside of community. They're talking about the upside the camaraderie, right. the enjoyment, the, the group of people working towards a common goal. I get that. But I don't think that most gyms have a common goal amongst their membership. I think they think they do. But I think if you ask the members what their goal is, they would find that their membership goal is not very common at all. It's actually scattered. And that's why those gyms are struggling. What I mean by that is John wants to go to the CrossFit games and compete every month or two. Mike just wants to lose 20 pounds. Shirley wants to be a better role model for her daughter when they go to the beach this summer because she always wears a t-shirt and tells her daughter it's cold, but now her daughter's getting too old for that and she's going to know her mom is Mm -hmm. lying if she doesn't tell the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Susie wants to be able to run a marathon and she thinks the CrossFit might help get her there. 
Like there, there's so many varying goals for people and the gym, if it doesn't recognize that it ends up doing an okay job for all of them instead of a phenomenal job for, for all of them. Okay. Having people who are like-minded okay. who want to be in the same place as you is a great thing. The problem is if your gym is selling community, then mm -hmm. your gym has a problem because you're a fitness facility, right? If I'm looking for community, yeah. I'll go to the community center. For example, I won't because that's not the people I want to hang out with, <laughs> but you know, like right. I'll, I'll join a mastermind group. I will um, go to events like that. That's where I'm going to find my community. And it's me personally. I know that's not everybody. And my wife loves the people who she works out with when she goes to the gym. That's great. Yeah. The thing is, how much is community worth to the person buying it? And if you're looking at your gym's top line and bottom line, and you find that, okay, we're bringing in $25,000 a month, but we're, it costs us $24,000 a month to do that, the best way for you to increase the $25,000 number is to increase your membership. It's not to get more members. It's to make it more expensive. But if you said, hey, we're going to charge $50 more per month to each of you. And let's say that there's 200 members in the gym. So at $50 more per month, that would be $10,000 more per year. Right? And we're charging you that mm -hmm. because we're supplying you with this great community. Nobody is going to be like, <laughs> cool. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Right. Do you follow me? Yeah, so, I totally get. So, yeah, totally. So they they they're concerned about fitness goals and what they want. It's not community is on the list somewhere, but it's it's not up there with fitness. I think community and health. I don't even think community is on the list at all. I think community is on the oh, list wow. for okay. people once they're in. I think community okay. is a great retention tool. It's not a mm, good sales okay, yeah. tool. Great. Yep. You follow me? Yeah. And re yeah, re totally. I totally get that. Retention is important. But the other thing is if you swing your community too far, it ends up being incestual. You end up having your clicks. You end up having your issues with this person said this about this person. That person cheats in class. And by the way, he cheats on his wife too. So he's probably just an asshole. You know, like that, mm -hmm. that stuff happens when the community becomes the, the driving factor. Yeah. I love it. So culture drives community i love it yes and i've never thought of it that way that's that's great well and, and for people who are like well what's the difference culture is this is our code these are the things that we will tolerate these are the things that we do mm -hmm. expect these are the things that we won't tolerate and then sticking to it that's culture yeah. you know oh my coach is always on time yeah he should be but that's a culture it's a culture of excellence you know, mm -hmm. my name always gets used three times in class. That's a culture. It's a culture of coaches paying attention. I get a postcard when I come to the gym 13 times in a month. That's a culture of a gym that pays attention. You know, mm. all these different things represent culture where too many gyms just rely on everyone's friends. Yeah, totally. That's, that's awesome. That's great. So, uh, Let's let's take an example now. So let's say a gym uh, is trying to either sell community or using it as uh, a means to get people in. They're paying their coaches four nine. So the gym owners are coaching some classes. What can they do to turn this around? So what can a gym owner specifically right now do immediately to improve the professionalism of their gym? I think that if that's going on, the gym owner needs to call a meeting with their staff. And that meeting needs to be to ask a very simple question. Where do you guys see this place going? Where do you see in this gym? And then ask your staff that question and let them answer it. You'll know very quickly if you as a gym owner are aligned with what your staff has in mind for your business. If you're not aligned, let's say, for example, in my case, I wasn't aligned with my staff, which is why I needed to get rid of the gym because I thought my staff was very good. I still believe the people who are there are very good. They just didn't want to run the kind of gym that I wanted to own. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't fair of me to ask them to do that. Um, 
you know, I wanted to run a gym that was going to help people get out of pain without going to the doctor and without missing their workouts. And that would attract people who wanted to get out of pain and stay out of pain for the reason that I enjoy helping that population. And that population is willing to pay much more money to get their problem solved. They don't give a shit about muscle ups, Jared. They don't care about how much they can snatch. They care about being able to live an enjoyable life that doesn't include those things. So they'll pay Mm -hmm. what they need to pay to get that done because they haven't been able to find the answer to that. The person who joins the gym who now wants to get a muscle up didn't care about a muscle up before they came in. It became important when they got there. So Mm. when, when I recognized that the gym owner, I mean, excuse me, the gym owner now, the coach that I had on staff, who was the leader of my, my community leader of my culture, didn't want to take the gym in the direction that I wanted it to go. I started mentoring other gyms on the way I wanted my gym to go because I felt a, a need to do that because I, I wanted to grow something like that and I just couldn't do it in my place. And they started to explode in a good way. So I just had to get out of mine. Mm-hmm. Sean, that's awesome. So you said a couple things. Like, do you feel especially now, so I'm, I'm looking at CrossFit specifically because that's what my experience is in. Okay. Uh, if, if you go back five years, like the games were this huge thing, even not even five, just last year, two years ago, the games were this huge thing. Uh, the Open definitely was a big thing for every gym. Every member wanted their first muscle-up or first pull-up, something like this. But now this huge shift has happened because Glassman has changed the whole game setup, put more emphasis on a different population of, of member. So do you feel that is the cause of this kind of mindset shift that's slowly happening or has this been there all along? No. And we just haven't looked at it. No, that is nothing, very little to do with this mindset shift that's happening. I think that there are some people out there who are taking their cues from Glassman. And so they're certainly um, joining the shift, if you will. What I believe is Mm -hmm. happening is, Glassman has actually been extremely consistent and people just haven't been paying attention. What I mean by that is he was never all about the games. You never saw him at the games. He was there, but he was never all about it. Right. Uh, he was always yeah. about longevity and, and fighting Coca-Cola. So the thing <laughs> is something that nobody looks at, including myself when they buy a CrossFit gym is Greg Glassman would be the first person to tell you, He's not in this for the business of it. Cool. But mm-hmm. I just took a five-year lease on a building at $7,000 a month, spent $35,000 on equipment to open, gave my first and last month's deposit, paid $50,000 in construction to make sure that my gym could function, and I don't even have a member yet. I kind of need a business model. But the whole thing was never set up to be a business. So now these gyms are, are struggling because they're like, who do I go to for leadership? Do I go to Mad Lab? Do I go to Two Brain Business? Do I go to, um, I don't remember what Bergeron's company is called. Do I go to whatever Kalipa's company is called? Do I, like, there's, mm-hmm. do I go to John Swanson? Do I go to Gym Launch? And, and they're all left to figure it out for themselves because you know it's a quote, libertarian society but the problem is no one's no one has reached this level of this is the structure that every gym needs to have that works across the board so there's still confusion does that make sense yeah totally well active life rx is is headed there right yes and no that's what you want to be yes and no i mean we here's the thing about that we, we do want to be able to supply people with their, with their clarity and their certainty. The difference between us and a company like uh, Mad Lab, Two Brain Business, um, OPEX, any of those, is mm-hmm. that all of those businesses, maybe with the, ex, uh, the exemption of OPEX, all of those businesses are telling CrossFit gyms, um, karate studios, Orange Theories, F45s, we can help you. Right. Mm-hmm. They're all like, yeah, if I see another fucking ad come across my Facebook page <laughs> or like 
the sad gym owner who can't get members use this funnel. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm full of, I'm full of shit, but I'm going to be frustrated. Yeah. Right. I know what you so mean. They're, yeah. They're all totally. over the place. We don't want to help everybody. We only yeah. want to help people who want to help people who want to be able to train without pain, who are frustrated that every time they work out, they end up hurt, who are afraid to work out because when they do, it hurts, who are frustrated that when they go to the gym, they feel like a burden on their coach because they, mm. they're asking the same question again. They've had the same problem for three years. Instead of running, yeah. they row every day for two years because they have a bad knee. We want to help those people get out of pain. But more importantly, we want to teach coaches and gym owners how to help those people themselves and then how to build an entire gym around solving problems for that population and only that population. And here's yep. why. The reason why is because gyms come and go. Right? I mean, we all know this. Gyms come and yeah. go. Nobody ever says, hey, you know what business you should go into that's really stable? The gym business. <laughs> totally. It's like go open a bar, right? But yeah. But you know what businesses are stable? Doctors' offices, lawyers, mm. accountants. The world will always need those. There will always be a group of people who the doctor's office fails. Be the people who serve that population, and there will always be a market for you. That's our thought. And we know how to find the people who want that. And we know how to teach gyms how to attract and solve problems for those people. And we know how to teach gyms how to charge $350 to $500 a month to have those people coming to their gym. And when you have that, you can pay your coaches a legitimate wage. You can solve real problems for people. And you don't have to have 50 classes a week at a razor thin margin competing on price, telling people, oh, you know what we're better at than everybody else? Uh, community programming and coaching. No, that's not what we do. We're great at helping people who typically experience pain and discomfort and frustration when they exercise. We're here to help that population, period. <laughs> so I want to go to the CrossFit game. Should I join your gym? No. Nope. <laughs> and and what, Find a different one. Yes. Yeah. And we're teaching gym owners and their coaches the very, very, very beginning basics all the way up to training staff for when they become overwhelmed by the volume of people who are coming to them for help. Yeah. So we have coaches who I, I literally recorded a podcast before this one. And mm -hmm. one of the coaches on the podcast had to open her own company that now rents from the gym that she works at. And she started a company because there's so many people who want what she's doing. And the gym couldn't build systems fast enough to accommodate. She was making $175 a week in January. In the month of wow. May, she made $8,000. Wow. <laughs> Holy crap. And the gym made close to five on what she's doing. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is get entire gyms to convert to that model. We have a gym in Florida who um, this gym in Florida has 20% of their members doing active life work, you know, doing what we tell them to do. And that 20% of the gym is now paying for 60% of the membership dues. Think about that. 20% of the members are paying 60% of the dues. So the owner's like, when do I convert my entire gym hmm. to do this? I said, you can do that now. Um, we have a gym in Florida as well, in a, in a, in a more upscale version of Florida. They were doing a million dollars a year before they got to us. We did a workshop at their gym two months ago and they're already up $3,000 a month. Wow. So, so I, I mean, what are you, what are you actually implementing there? What we're implementing is the idea that if you asked a hundred CrossFit gym owners, 
Do you agree yeah. that people get hurt doing CrossFit? In general. Totally. Not the, with anything. We're not, yeah. we're not asking if CrossFit's dangerous. Because to me, CrossFit is no more dangerous than Orange Theory, marathon running, weightlifting, any of that stuff. Yeah. So do you believe, though, that people get hurt doing CrossFit? What do you think they would say, Jared? As a gym owner, I think they would say no. No, no, no. Would they say no, no one gets hurt doing CrossFit anywhere in the world? No, but at their gym, I think they would say, no, you won't get hurt here. You're stealing my thunder, bro. They would, 100 out of 100, would say, yeah, people get hurt doing CrossFit. Okay, cool. Anyone get hurt here? No. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, so you ask all these gyms, does anybody get hurt doing this? Everybody says yes. Yeah. Just not at their gym. Right. So something's right. wrong. Yeah. So what we, yep. what we teach gym owners to do and coaches to do is to provide a non-threatening way to demonstrate to their members that there's something wrong. You're hurting. You didn't get hurt at the gym. You found out you were hurt because you come to the gym. You know, the guy with the meniscus tear on his knee doesn't know until he gets off the couch. You follow me? Mm. He didn't tear yep. it standing up. So we teach these coaches and these gym owners how to run assessments for their entire gym. If, let, let's say, if, let, let me take you through a model that's, that's actually complete. Cool? Yeah, let's do it. Let's say you, all, you own a gym and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I would love that to happen to my gym where 60% of my revenue is coming from 20% of my members and I'm up $10,000 a month. That would be great. So mm -hmm. what we would tell you to do is this. You look, use our assessments or use other ones. I'm going to tell it as if you're using ours. You use our assessments because okay. they're simple to, to learn. They're simple to, 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 to visualize for someone who's doing it. They, they slap you in the face as obvious findings. You put every single member, you offer free assessments for every single member in the gym. They all go through the free movement screen. Okay, you can do mm -hmm. one weekend where you assess everybody or you could do it one at a time. We had a gym in Virginia do... 200 plus members in a single weekend. So you put your members through this assessment. It takes less than 15 minutes per person. Then you offer them a personal training session for free to solve the problems that you found on the assessment to start solving the problems. What you just did was you identified issues that your members didn't know they had, but they knew they were suffering from. You showed them that you have a solution to solve those problems, which we teach in our immersion program. And then you build a one-on-one -on -one training culture in your gym. Then what happens is there are too many people who want to do this with you for you to continue to sustain it in a one-on-one -on -one training environment. So you have to go to a group model again. The difference is this group mm -hmm. model is going to be the first half of a class is individually designed. The second half of the class is done in a group. And the members who are coming to that class are paying an upcharge to be in that class. And they're paying for the individual design portion. So the member who was paying 160 is now paying 350. Then they get a personal training session once a month to make sure that they're progressing appropriately. That costs an additional 85 to $100. So now they're paying 400 plus dollars a month. And people are like, yeah. Cool. That works where you are, but it doesn't work where I am. We have gym owners who've done this in Greenwood, South Carolina, where the average household income is $27,000 a year. <laughs> so it does work because people have problems that they want solved. You don't think personal training works in your gym because you're trying to sell muscle ups for $85 a pop. Right. That's the problem. So we teach gyms how to do this. And then eventually that class fills. Then the next class fills. Then the next class fills. And they no longer have the opportunity to offer high-intensity training at the price they were offering it at. Everything has to become more expensive or they can't continue to do it because the class that we've taught them to run is too valuable to not offer more of. That's brilliant. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. So in order to, in order to do that, you would need a professional coach. The coaches have to so, be professional, yes. Because the coaches don't just have yeah. to be able to execute the sessions. They got to be able to sell them. Right. 
and they have to be able to be good at it and provide results. Yes, you can't just so, do this and not know what you're doing. Exactly. So how do you take a, let's say, a local CrossFit gym coach that maybe sees it as a hobby? How do you take them and make them into professional? Is it a conjunction with the gym owner and coach, or should they seek something outside of the gym to help them? What, what's the best course of action? So the first thing is I, we don't. We take someone who sees it as a profession and is struggling because mm-hmm. they can only do it as a hobby. Okay. So once we have that person, what we do is <clears throat> we're taking them through what we call our professional path. The professional path is a four-phase program that's a year long. And people who hear that are like, a year? I don't have a year. You're going to be making <laughs> 2000 to $3,000 extra per month within two to three months. You do have the time. So the first phase is what we call our value phase. You're gaining high value skills. You're learning our assessments at an in-person workshop. And then for 13 weeks thereafter, we're teaching you how to apply your findings to solve problems. What I mean by solving problems is John's knee feels better when he uses it, but he's been told to rest it because it hurts all the time. John shouldn't be resting. Mm -hmm. And you need to know that. But if you don't have the education, you don't know that. Not only should John not be resting, but John needs a very specific amount of exercise, load, time under tension. And you need to learn how to apply that or you're going to hurt him. Mm -hmm. So we teach you that in 13 weeks. We also teach you how to sell that idea to people who need it. After those 13 weeks are up, and by the way, we offer a full money back guarantee on our immersion program for anybody who does not make all of the money they spent on it back before it's over. Meaning it's 13 weeks. It costs $2,500. If you don't make $2,500 back in those 13 weeks, we'll give it back to you. That's how confident hmm. we are. Find another company that that's will great. do that. So yeah. now that's just phase one of our professional path. Phase two is we bring you back out for another workshop. And in that workshop, we teach you how to put on your own workshop so that you can educate the masses on what's going wrong for themselves. This way you're doing group, you're doing the assessment in a group. We teach you how to do it. It's scripted. The first word and the last word of the workshop come right off the page. After you've learned how to do the workshop, you go through another 12 weeks with us on how to sell online. Because it's one thing to get people who are in your gym who know, like, and trust you to join this higher price program. It's another thing to get someone who's never heard of your gym to believe that you're the authority who can solve their problem for 400 bucks a month. So we teach you how to get that person to come in. And there's no six-week challenge bait and switch bullshit. We teach you how to get them to pay for the first day that they're there. Mm -hmm. Then phase three is... This is going really well. There are some people who need to pay a higher price for things because they need more one-on-one training sessions. And we're struggling to communicate that. How do we do that? We're going to teach you how to sell. We have a two-day workshop in person. That is what we call our ethical sales workshop. Our first rule of sales is you only sell to people who are in the market for what you have. That's it. If they don't want or need what you have, you don't sell them anything. So we teach you how to determine that. And then we teach you how to make sure that anyone who wants or needs what you have buys it from you and not from somebody else because they will. After that two-day workshop, mm-hmm. you get another 13 weeks of development, personal development to make sure that you're the kind of person who can actually be the person who your members look to as the kind of person they want to be and ongoing sales support in a structured way because you're going to have trouble and we want to help you. Then you come back out one more time because now you're so busy. Everyone is saying, yes, you need more staff and you need a kickstart on developing them. So you bring that staff out. We start developing you and your staff member. And then when you go home, we spend 90 days making sure you're hitting your accountability measures so that this person who's on your staff is actually the person who you need them to be so that they can do the next thing. Our belief is that great leaders develop people who can develop people, not just people who do things well. Mm-hmm. And then year two through year 50 are business masterminds. You're coming out 
and you're meeting with the best and the brightest who are doing what you're doing. You're not meeting with F45s and other gyms. You're meeting with people who are doing exactly what you're doing. And we are going to solve big, complex problems in simple ways together. That's how we're changing the industry. And you've seen a lot of success with it so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I honestly just just listening to you say that, I got my bachelor's degree in exercise science, spent an embarrassing amount of money on it. Me too. And it led me really to mm, kind of a, a dead end. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't do anything of what you just explained, which is actually going to help the kids getting an exercise science degree to do what they want to do, which is ideally coach and help people. Yes. And look, if, if, you're, yeah. if you're a CrossFit gym, you can do great. Mm-hmm. You can win. CrossFit's not dead. CrossFit is very much alive. There are CrossFit gyms doing oh, yeah. millions of dollars a year in business. But if you're not one of them, it's your duty to find someone who can help you do that. Go work with Mad Lab. Mm-hmm. Go work with John Swanson. Pay Jim Launch. Like whatever you need to do, do it. You owe it to yourself and your business to get there. The, the idea that you know stuff about exercise correlates with you running a good business is fucking crazy. They're not related. <laughs> no, and, not at all. And you didn't go to school for the latter. So go to school for the latter. Pay what it costs, get it, and be a kick-ass CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. I want CrossFit to be around in 20 years. Crushing. But I know what it's going to take for that to happen is for CrossFit gym owners to take their business more seriously than CrossFit itself takes its. Right. So let's let's go back here because I want to uh, really dive into this topic for a few minutes at least a lot of gyms are using the four ninths model. And I was a part of a gym, two gyms that use the four ninths model. Um, and you are avidly kind of against gyms using it or not. I wouldn't say that you're against um, if it's working for them, then great. But the problem is, I guess it's not working for a lot of gyms. So how is it not working? Why is ditching it good for the coaches and the owners? It might not be, but let me ask you some questions first. Was it working where you did it? Okay. For me personally, no. Were you a coach or the owner? I was a coach. Okay. Why wasn't it working for you? I couldn't afford a life at all. Were you inspired to sell training sessions? You know what? No. Um, so the way the system we had, we had like an on-ramp and it was personal training. So we had one-on-ones, new member comes in. And that was, if someone comes in our gym, they basically, they want to start. So we started up, go through one-on-one, six sessions, and that was it. I actually made uh, a teens program uh, that was one-on-one personal training. So I built this program and ran it out of the gym. And I had a couple clients at first and it was great. And then after that, I felt like I hit a, yeah, kind of like a dead end or a roadblock because like you said, I, I think maybe I just wasn't inspired to do it because I wasn't really seeing the benefit. Yeah. So, so let me be really clear about this. Four ninths can work if you're the kind of coach who is prepared to build programs that function as businesses within the business. And if the gym is prepared to give you an unlimited amount of time and space to operate that program. Otherwise, what happens is you run a program, it starts to get successful, you need to expand it but there's no room for it in the gym. So you're capped. Do you follow me mm-hmm. there? Okay. Yeah. The other thing is if I wanted to build a program that I thought of from the ground up built out and knew could be successful, why wouldn't I just open my own gym and run my program right. and keep all of it? Now the answer to that is because it's expensive. It's risky. You want to hedge your bet and you want the gym owner to take all the risk. So that means no problem. Four ninths, go with it. I have no issue with that. The real problem is, to me, four ninths is founded on a pile of bullshit that's steaming and on fire. (laughs) Um, And I can get into that in depth if you want me to. Um, 
But the issue is the way most people are running four nights is what the issue is. It's you get your $25 a class, your $20 a class, and then you get four nights of whatever you sell above and beyond. Right? Yes. Okay. Well, then that means a personal training session needs to cost $100 to make 44 It's very hard for a coach who's not a savvy salesperson, who doesn't like talking about money, who feels like they should be able to help their members in class, and who can't afford to pay themselves what they want to charge other people to go to somebody and say, I need you to pay $100 for this training session when they're only going to get the reward is 44 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you're now spending, like the thing that doesn't get accounted for is all the time that the coach has to spend prospecting, texting with that client, emailing back and forth, building the program out, executing the sessions, getting haircuts so that they look like they're supposed to look when they do the sessions making sure that their clothes are clean. Like all of this stuff goes into it and doesn't get accounted for. And it's bullshit. So four nights is founded on the idea that there is a cost to doing business. And there is. They're not wrong about that. The problem is, let's say that you say you're going to get paid four nights and the session costs $70. So the gym's keeping 40 and you're keeping 30. That's about where most people are at, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So what you're saying as a gym owner is that you need to make $40 on a training session because you set those prices, right? Yes. Okay. I can't live off of 30. So what are your thoughts of this, gym owner? I would like to charge 100. I will be able to sell it. I want to keep the difference, which means I want to get paid 60 per session. And instead of you getting paid 44%, you're still going to make $40 for the same amount of time, the same amount of space, and the same amount of equipment. Where is the downside for the gym owner? Show me the downside for the gym owner. Yeah, what? Top of my head, I can't think of any downside for the gym owner. Everything's the because same. There is, there is none. They already yeah. accounted for that money. They already said, I'm good at 40. And if, they're, if they weren't good at 40, then they, they shouldn't have offered it in the first place. But so you're good at 40. So now the, the problem that arises is people are like, well, my coach can't. My coach isn't, doesn't want to sell sessions. No, of course they don't. They're making $30. Offer them 60 <laughs> And teach him how to sell. And if you can't mm-hmm. teach him how to sell, then what do you deserve $40 for? Putting people in the room? That's asinine. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not about the percentage. Because again, if, if, if your gym was charging $200 a training session, let's say your gym charged 200 bucks a training session. And for those people who were like, that's crazy. No one would ever do that. Yes, they would. And there are gyms who do it. And I know them. So if the coach is making 44% of a $200 session and the reason why the gym can charge $200 a session is because they have built a reputation for being the gym that's worth getting trained for $200 a session at. And when the, when the member walks in, they understand I only buy personal training here. There's nothing else to do. And then they get assigned a coach. Well, yeah, 88 bucks is fair. But that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. I guess a, a gym owner could say, if they're if you're going, if you're looking at like a, a greedy gym owner, they could still want to take four ninths if you want to charge a hundred. Right, but what I'm saying is, then it's just a dick measuring contest. It has nothing to okay. do with any of the financials that you discussed. Has nothing okay. to do with your cost. Has everything mm-hmm. to do with the fact that you need to feel like you have a bigger dick than you really do by saying Mm -hmm. that you make more money than me. (laughs) That's it. And it doesn't help your business is what you're arguing. So no, if if you pull your dick out too often, it's bound to get stuck in something. (laughs) Yeah. I have just, just, just to, just to put my, my money where my mouth is. I have staff members 
who have made more money than me in multiple months this year in my company because I set myself at a salary that doesn't change no matter how much money the company makes because I don't want to start to see green and make decisions based on the money. But I have staff mm-hmm. members who get paid based on performance and some of them make more money than me. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I make plenty of money. Yeah. So what, what would you say to somebody then that a gym owner that just wants, okay. So passion doesn't pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to someone that is listening to this and might be like, well, what you just in it for the money then? Yeah, of like, course what? I am. Yeah. You didn't. Okay. Listen, here's the thing. I love this conversation. Yeah. Um, you didn't start a gym because you wanted to make a lot of money. Neither did I. I didn't start mm-hmm. active life because I wanted to make a lot of money either. The thing is, the reason I started active life is because it's the only thing I'm willing to do to make money. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love helping people. I love helping people reach financial freedom. I love helping people get out of pain, change their self-talk, improve their relationships. That's why I started active life. Now, because I started active life, I need to make a lot of money in it because I don't want to have to do something else for a living. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you own a gym and you think that you're not in it for the money, well, then just do it as a hobby in a park at five o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays (laughs) and get a fucking job Mm because you can't pay your bills off of love. Right. People are like, oh, I hear all the time. It's so harsh. You're so like matter of fact and cutthroat. Like, no, that is your fucking reality, people. Mm -hmm. You're. If, if, here's the thing two ways to think about it number one and this is the way that motivates me it might not motivate half the people listening to this if there was a gun to your head and the trigger was getting pulled if you couldn't get the 10 people in your gym who you know need one-on-one training to buy one-on-one training would you get them to buy it yeah you would yeah now yep what about the other way? Because some people don't respond to that. What if you're a guy listening to this and you don't quite feel like a man? And I'm saying this because I've been in this exact position. So I'm just describing myself four years ago. You don't quite feel like a man. Your wife out earns you. And she doesn't care. She loves you. Mm-hmm. And you don't even care if you out earn her. You just want to contribute. It's not about competing. You're working your ass off and it's going nowhere. You can't, every time you guys go on a date, you're like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't know if we can afford to go to the nice restaurant in town. We're not one of those rich people. Um, you know, your car breaks down from time to time and you're scared that when that happens next time, you might not be able to afford to fix it. And then how will you get to work? You haven't been on vacation in five years, but you see pictures of beautiful beaches that you would love to see. You just know you could never afford to go to them. What would it mean to you to be able to take your wife on a date and not look at the prices on the menu before you ordered? What would it be like to be able to take your wife on vacation and not look at how much the flights, the hotel, or the food, or the experiences cost before deciding what to do and what not to do? What would it be like to be able to say yes to your kid who keeps asking for a bicycle? What would it be like to be able to go to Father's Day at your kid's school because you don't have to go to work that day because you can afford to take the day off? If you're not in it for the money, get out. You need to make mm-hmm. enough. I'm not telling you to aim for millions. I'm telling you you need to make enough. It's irresponsible to think otherwise. Yeah, money's not the root of all evil. It can supply a lot of beautiful things, just like you said, a lot of great things. No, you know what? I don't see a lot of rich people who are, are 
you know, extremely problematic to society. It's mm-hmm. money is not the root of all evil. The lack of money is the root of all evil. People who don't have it struggle. And then there's a problem because the people who do have it understand how hard it was for them to get it. And they don't want to just give it to the people who don't have it, who are working really hard, but aren't working right. They want to educate mm. those people. And, and, and there's this huge gap and that becomes the problem. And the money is what becomes blamed as opposed to the education gap. It's education. Mm-hmm. It's self-talk. It's, it's all of that. I've been fucking poor. I have lost 15, I've lost 13,000 of the $15,000 that my wife saved on a bad business idea. While I was $100,000 plus in debt to chiropractic school. I was making $30,000 a year as a chiropractor, a CrossFit gym owner, and an event owner. Working 17-hour days, six days a week. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. And I hired a coach that cost me $1,000 a month for a two-hour meeting once a month to teach me how to not be the person who didn't think about money at all. And since then, I've helped way more people because we never talked about money. We talked about people. We talked about me, who I was, who I wanted to be. And the first thing he said was, why did you start this business? And I said, because I want to help people feel better. I want to help people uh, achieve their goals. I want to leave a legacy. I want to change an industry. And he said, no, you didn't. It's not why you started this business. He's like, that's why you chose this business, but you started this business to make a living. And then we started looking at what did I want to be able to do from the living I was making? And that's it. We just worked towards that. Hmm. That's awesome. I love it. So Sean, we're going to wrap this up. I have one more question that we ask all of our guests uh, before we end each episode. And that is what does being a warrior mean to you? To me, being a warrior means that you understand and expect difficult and trying things to happen. And when they do, you push through anyway. And I can give you kind of a metaphor that I, I use for this with athletes who I work with. Okay. Um, have you ever pushed a sled in the street? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So when you watch an athlete at a high level push a sled in the street when they're tired in a workout, what happens is inevitably that sled is going to hit a rock or a crack or, or an uneven level of, of pavement, right? And yeah. what, what happens when the sled hits that, Jared? It's going to slow down, make yes. a noise. And if, off, the, yeah. if the athlete's tired and they've been pushing, 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 and then they hit that hard spot and they weren't expecting it, what usually happens? They stop. They stand up, they take two steps back, they push their hair out of their face, they go, ah, take two or three deep breaths, and then they get back to the sled and they try to push it again. It sticks, they stand back up, they try to push it again, and it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, what if we pictured it differently? What if you thought about it like a warrior? And you said to yourself, when I push this sled, there's going to be a spot when I'm tired, my legs are burning, And the sled is going to get stuck. What I need to do when the sled gets stuck is take four really hard, short, choppy steps to get the sled moving again. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. And that's what I need to do. What do you think happens when you start pushing the sled and it sticks again? I think you're going to fucking push through it. Yes, you are. And that's a warrior's mindset. The same thing applies in business, in relationships, in all, in money, in all kinds of things. 
you know, marriage. I, 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 my marriage is better now than it ever was. And we've had months where we felt like we were just living with roommates. Mm-hmm. You need to anticipate the down so that you can have a strategy to come out of it, to recognize that the down is not the forever. The down is the sled getting stuck on an uneven piece of pavement and you have to find a way through it because everybody hits it and some mm-hmm. people stop. Mm-hmm. As uh, I played rugby in college and actually I got, and that's how I got into the fitness uh, realm is, is just training. And we push sleds nonstop. Like we lived on those things. So that metaphor, like truly hit home for me. That was great. I love that. Good. Yeah, that was awesome. So, uh, Sean, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you, appreciate you coming on today. Where can uh, people go to follow you in, in active life RX? Active life RX everywhere, active life professional everywhere. And Dr. Sean Pestuch, if they want to find me personally. Pestuch. Perfect. All right. Thank you again, Sean. And uh, we'll talk soon. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us. We hope it was beneficial to you. You could be doing anything. Everything is vying for your attention these days but you chose to be here with us, and that means a lot. If you do have an extra minute, head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, leave us a comment if you'd like. If you've already done that, hey, you're awesome. If you haven't done it, what's the matter with you? Just kidding. We still love you, but you can go ahead and do that. We would love to hear from you. Guys, enjoy your day. As always, try to take things from this episode and put them into practice, because that's a way that you get stronger and discover the warrior within.